0: my name is Simon Luckhurst and this is Season 2 of Ear Movies, Conversations with Buckthumper. One of the projects I work on, and am very proud to work on, is Nagana Banangari, which means black wallaby. Twice a year tutors from the project enter Junee Jail and collect poetry and other writing from the First Nations inmates there. Overseen by Wadi Wadi Elder Auntie Barbara Nicholson, it publishes the writing annually in a book called Dreaming Inside. Next year we'll see the arrival of volume 10. I've been invited into the jail four times now, and it's an experience you don't forget in a hurry. The idea for this story came from those trips. I've worked with Billy McPherson on a number of occasions. We met at ABC Radio National, but have collaborated on a few other things since then, and he's now involved with Nagana Banangati as well. Billy's done a bunch of films, TV and theatre over the years. He brings something special to Whispering Moths. Hope you like it.
1: Whispering Moths Most people thought of Timmy Ray as a quiet bloke, which most of the time he was. But if you saw him after a few drinks, you'd say he was anything but. He had a tendency to arc up if he was provoked, and the more beers he had under his belt, the more likely he was to react. He reflected now as the prison van rolled down the hume, how this pattern of behaviour had contributed to his current situation. He had been in police lockups a few times before. He'd also spent a few anxious mornings in court after minor blues with various arseholes or the cops. But this would be his first time in jail. The month and a half he spent in MRRC waiting for his hearing had been awful. Now a six-month sentence was bloody unpleasant icing on the cake of the time he had already done. He was on his way to June E. Who'd ever heard of bloody June E? By all accounts, the jail was okay for a jail. But where the hell was it? His sister was the only living member of his family and she'd come out to Silverwater a couple of times. He knew she'd never make it into the bush to see him. She had two kids under four and a dickhead of a husband who'd never seen eye to eye with Timmy. She promised to put money in for buy-ups though. The truck rumbled along. Timmy knew enough that eye contact was not a good idea, but he glanced around occasionally. They were all handcuffed. There was a curry bloke and another guy who might have been Lebanese or anything really. He was obviously agitated. Pouncing around, his seat strung out. There was enough ice in MRRC to keep a walrus happy, and maybe this bloke had had the bucks for it. What are you looking at? Timmy glanced up in case the question had been directed at him. Fortunately, he saw it was the curry bloke who was being targeted. Not looking at anyone, brother. Bullshit.
2: You were staring
1: at me. No, bruh. Timmy felt the curry guy wasn't too fazed by the accusation, although the Lebanese guy was twice his size, and majorly strung out as well. You want some of this, bud? He asked, showing a clenched fist. First chance I get. The curry guy turned his head away. In Timmy's experience, pissed off, muscle-bound, strung out ice users were generally a cause for concern. The Lebanese guy shook his head, trying to avoid a fly near his face. It was a persistent fly though, and because he was handcuffed, he started shaking his head wildly. Timmy was glad the bloke was restrained, because he was growing more frustrated by the second. He was swinging his head around so determinedly, he actually struck it against the wall of the van a couple of times. The Curry guide chuckled quietly. The Lebanese bloke was totally distracted. Timmy couldn't help but smile. The Curry guide turned to him. Sonny's me name, he said. I'm Timmy. Pleased to meet you. The Lebanese guy was twisting his head around. Not one, but two flies were hovering close to his eyes. Timmy wondered what Sonny was in for, but knew enough already not to ask. It wasn't that people would be offended. More that sometimes it was better not to know. He'd been four out in Silverwater, and except for Randall, He had no idea what the other blokes were in for. Randall was a loudmouth. You couldn't shut him up. He'd sold ice, a lot of it. He spent hours moaning about proceeds of crime legislation and how it had taken away his house, his boat, his bikes, his van. Sonny didn't look harmful, but then a lot of blokes didn't. Timmy glanced at the Lebanese guy, but the flies had gone, and he was now sitting still, staring into nothing. Timmy looked away again, quickly. How long you got? he asked Sonny. A safe question. Two years on the bottle. You? Six months. You're a clean skin, Timmy nodded. Yeah, first time. Your first legs, you was." Sonny told him. Timmy shivered at the words. He never wanted a second one. I'll look after you, said Sonny. Stick with me, okay? Somehow, Timmy knew he could trust him. up, two out, and d4. Timmy was worried he'd be picked on because he was short. It happened all his life. He wasn't scared about fighting back. Plenty of times he stood up for himself. It explained why his front teeth had been missing for years. He didn't want to draw attention to himself by blowing and lose his chance for parole. Sonny knew a lot of guys inside. Many were old friends and he was related to a whole lot more. Sonny's acceptance of Timmy meant that he was accepted by them as well. Sonny liked to spend time in the basketball court, which had been converted into an art room. The walls were lined with pictures, all kinds of styles and themes, landscapes portraits and abstracts. famous people of all shades, moments of history and instantly recognisable places. Sometimes Timmy and Sonny would walk across the court together, like the other blokes. Up and back they'd go, up and back, up and back, turning in unison before they'd the wall. Their conversations unaffected. Sometimes others would join them. A row of blokes in green, walking up and down, up and back, and over and over again. Other times they'd lie on their bunks, talking about anything to pass the time. Saw me cousin Donnie today, Sonny said. Yeah? Timmy asked. Heroin. Been half his life inside. Doesn't look like an addict, Timmy said. He's got kids, you know. Down narrow way. Last time he was inside, he finished off his sentence at Park Lee. Called his ex. Said he was on his way out to see them. She still loved him. Somehow. Not a violent bloke. Just loved that needle. Sonny, mind injecting himself, gets on the train at Blacktown, so far so good. Kids were waiting for him at home, his daughter was five, and she barely knew her dad. She'd done him a drawing. Donny gets on the train at Central, dual travelling okay, but he gets off at Redfern. They didn't hear from him again for a month. A month? Timmy asked. Sonny smiled. They had these old gutted houses at the top of the block. They called them the empties. He met up with his old crew. Bang, back on it again. I saw him there one day. Tried to sell me a laptop. What am I going to do with a friggin' laptop? Sonny laughed. He looks fit, Timmy said. That's what happens, Sonny said. They run
2: amok outside.
1: It all gets out of control. Families break up, grog, the gee, yandy, now the ice. They steal, they fight, they live rough, and then they get caught. And sometimes it's something they've done, and sometimes it's not. I knew another bloke they picked up three times for a bridge of bail. He wasn't in breach, they were just giving him a hard time. And sure enough, the third time he yarked up and, bang, dropped this copper and ended up doing 18 months. Thing was,
2: he was doing really well
1: at the time. Him being locked up didn't benefit anyone. Timmy shivered and pulled his thin blanket closer. So they get inside and they get a bed and three meals a day and get off whatever it is that's been holding them back. And they work out and they get real fit. Next morning, Timmy and Sonny and Kenny Amoa were caught in a breezeway leading up to the art room by a cert call. Cert calls happen when there is an issue somewhere in the jail and everything froze while it was being resolved. The issue could be a fight, a drug bust, suicide, a murder. With everything locked down, the prison officers were free to get together to sort it out. It was cold and Timmy wished he brought his coat. They were still standing there after 30 minutes. Timmy imagined a heap of officers wrestling a crazed prisoner in a cell somewhere. Sonny was squatting down and Kenny was holding the wire, looking upwards. See anything, bro? Sonny asked Kenny. Kenny shook his head. I just want to get in the art room, cuz. Tired of waiting? He kicked the thick wire mesh that contained them. A bright blue butterfly appeared and flitted around the yard beyond them. Timmy felt he should reassure Kenny. It's all right, cuz, he said. Don't call me cuz, bro, Kenny spat back. Sorry, Timmy said. Didn't mean to offend you. It's okay, cuz, Kenny said. I'm just on edge. I'm tired of this interruption. I want to get on with things. Timmy felt his entire time in prison was like a long cert call. An interruption to his life, though, not just part of one day of it. A second butterfly had joined the first, and the three men watched them. They appeared to be dancing and spinning around each other, taking turns to lead and follow. Timmy had never seen anything like it. They kept watching, fascinated, until abruptly the call was over. The gates were open and people started moving again. They soon heard whispers that a bloke named Arnie Thompson had been stabbed. He hadn't died, although he still might, but the guards didn't know who had done it. It'd be that arsehole, Phil Painstead, a racist standover, oxygen thief. Stay away from him, Sonny said to Timmy. They were in the art room. Sonny was painting an echidna on the other side of the large round table. Kenny was drawing a canoe. Watch his tongue, Sonny whispered, smiling. Timmy watched and sure enough, Kenny's tongue slid forward as he concentrated. Don't let him catch you looking at him, Sonny said. Timmy smiled and turned away from Kenny just as he looked up. You two better not be laughing at me, he said. Timmy shook his head and Sonny kept his eyes down on his artwork. Prisoners ebbed and flowed in and out of the room. Some would come and say hello to Sonny, who'd greet them warmly and introduce them to Timmy. Half of them seemed to be his cousins. Sonny introduced him to a guy his own height. He's called Coffee. Because he's a short black, Timmy smiled. That's the trouble with being short. Everyone wants to pick on you. Had it my whole life. True that. How much has Sonny taken you for? Coffee asked. "'Taking me full? You're a betting man, aren't you?' "'Shut up, Coffee,' Sonny said, not bothering to look up. He chewed on the end of the paintbrush enough to flatten it. He dipped the soft wood into some paint and used it like a stamp to create small dots. It was painstaking work. "'Set up a roach race,' Coffee said. Sonny kept applying dots. "'Go on. Give me a chance to win some cash.' I got nothing for buy ups. Sonny grinned. What's a roach race? Timmy asked. They're like a regular race meeting. Cockeraches, Brad, Coffee said. You can train them just like race horses. Timmy looked at Coffee, then to Sonny, and back to Coffee. Not trying to be rude, he said, but my name's Timmy. Oh, I know that, Coffee said. Then why do you keep calling me Brad? Coffee, Sonny, and Kenny all laughed. Brad! coffee told him. Bread's like the most important thing, you know. So you say, hey, my bread, how you going? Like, mate. They all say it around Walgett and Bree, but no one else knows it, dickhead, Sonny said to coffee, still laughing. It's our culture. Yeah, well, I'll respect it even more if you get me a cup of tea, Sonny said. I'll get you one, coffee told him, but only because I respect my elder's. "'Arsehole, I'm only two years older than you.' "'Set up a roach race,' Coffee said. "'Okay,' Sonny said. "'Tell the blokes to have their bets ready.'" A little before 3pm, a large number of D-Unit prisoners set up a track out of sight of the CCTV. They used whatever was available. Books, folders, shoe boxes. These provided one boundary. The wall provided the other. The track was about five metres long. An older man, Clive Jenkins, stepped forward. Boys, we know why we're here. Benny's putting up Kingston Town and Tony Tyler has. What was the name of your nag again, Tom? Farlap. Jesus, how could you not remember that? So it's Kingston Town versus Farlap, Clive said, ignoring Tony's question. All along the track, men bet with anything they had. Deodorant, books, tea bags, lollies and cans of food. Once Clive was satisfied all bets had been made, he addressed Benny and Tony. "You's ready, he asked. They both nodded. On your marks. Get set. Go. Kingston Town had been marked with red paint. Farlap was blue. Men were yelling as Kingston Town stormed home a full metre ahead of Farlap. Up and down the track, men were past their winnings. Sonny seemed to have done particularly well. Watch him, Coffey told Timmy. I've never seen him lose at these things. Clive oversaw preparations for the next race. Bill Munro's Paleface Adios versus Dave Munster's Rain Lover. This race was more pedestrian. Rain Lover ran into the barriers several times and started heading the wrong way down the track at one point. Paleface Adios, on the other hand, trolled home to take the win. Mungled dog, Dave Munster shouted, raising his boot. Don't you dare, shouted Sonny. You know the rules. Sure, Dave said eventually, backing down. I'll release him outside with a couple of choruses of Born Free, shall I? Sonny smiled as Dave picked up Rain Lover and left. The final race is Sonny Murray's five-legged Leilani against Alex Miklovich's Andre the Giant. You know Andre the Giant is a wrestler, not a racehorse, don't you, dickhead? Coffee asked. Alex shrugged. He's a good roach, he said. I don't know horses from shit. He held him up for everyone to see. It was truly the largest roach Timmy had ever seen. Hey, want to make things interesting? Benny said. Shall I give Kingston Town another run? Cheers from along the track were positive. More bets were made until finally Clive silenced the crowd. The 350 Juni Handicap sees the champion Leilani up against Andre the Joint and former race winner, Kingston Town. Gentlemen, please prepare your roaches. Ready, steady, go! 17
2: insect legs hit the floor at the same time. Kingston Town's taken an early lead and has stormed to the front. Andre has literally run right over the top of Leilani. Kingston Town's already reached the halfway mark. Andre's coming up fast from behind. What's this? Leilani is powering home on the other side of the track. Look at it go. Ladies and gentlemen. One metre left, and then neck and neck. Or whatever it is that cockroaches have for necks. It's anyone's race. 27 minutes to go when Andre's hit by a nose. Now it's Kingston Town. But wait. Leilani's calling on the a drive! Have you ever seen anything like it? It's it Town! It's Leilani! It's Andre! It's... It's... Leilani! Leilani by a full whisker! What a race, gentlemen! The champion has brought it home once again! Men
1: smiled or grumbled, exchanged items and slowly dispersed. Sonny had Leilani on the back of his hand, stroking it gently with one finger. Timmy thought the damn thing looked somehow content. You do all right? Sonny asked. Timmy nodded. Some baked beans, new razors, a pack of the Tim Tams. A lot of people bet on Kingston Town, Sonny smiled. How about you? Timmy asked. I don't bet much, Sonny said. Only for things I want. As if to his point, he took a bite of the Mars bar he was holding. Later in the cell, they were sharing a Fredo frog. A moth had flown in. It was doing lazy aerobatics around the light bulb, almost mesmerising. It was joined by a second, and they both danced around the globe, somehow in perfect synchronicity. Timmy could have watched them all night. Amazingly, Five, six other moths joined them. Their choreography was immaculate. Their timing was perfect and their precision was astounding. Do they always do this? Timmy asked. Abruptly, the moths flew out of the cell as one. About five seconds later, the lights went out. Timmy and Sonny were lying in the dark. Down the hall, they heard a tremendous fart and a couple of men laughing. Danny White was coughing. Poor bastard, Sonny said. Cancer must be bad. But think what it's like for him having it in here. Like my dad. Your dad? Timmy asked. My first serious sentence, Sonny said. Charged up one night. Tried to smash a copper. Twelve months in Bathurst. Jenny's a holiday in comparison but someone must have been looking out for me because my dad was the first person I ran into. He took me under his wing. He'd already been inside for two years. He had two more to go after I left, but we had a cell together for that year, which I'm glad of. I'd never have known him otherwise. The normally loud prison seemed suddenly very quiet to Timmy. Kind of always hoped I'd catch up with him on the outside. And we'd do something together. Just him and me on a property somewhere. The old bastard ended up dying of lung cancer in Long Bay. I'm sorry, Timmy said. I had that year with him in Bathurst, though. And I'm grateful for that. Sonny stopped talking then. And soon started snoring. It took Timmy longer to get to sleep. Ayun, the other prisoner on the truck, on the way to June E, had argued with an officer not long after they had arrived. He'd been sent to Segro, which was fine with Sonny and Timmy. Now he was out, word spread quickly that it was best to avoid him unless you wanted a fight. Timmy realised there were two kinds of people inside. Those who avoided confrontation and those who were prepared to resist being stood over at any cost. Timmy had stood up for himself plenty of times in the past. More often when he was drunk, it was true. But sometimes, when he had been sober and felt he had to make a stand, he'd fought a few fights for his sister too with some of the dickheads he'd been with. Maybe it was the reason she still supported him now. Ayun was a good 40 kilos and 20 centimeters taller than Timmy, though. If they got into a fight, Timmy was going to be a mess afterwards, and it could stuff up his parole. Timmy's plan was going well until he literally ran into Ayun on the way to the art room. Just turned too quickly, and bang! Ayun was down on the ground. It wasn't even my fault, he told Sonny that night. It was a total accident. How long you got left? Sonny asked. Seven more weeks. You might want to avoid him, I guess. Yeah, if I can find a cupboard, Sonny laughed. The jail's a big place. Just keep an eye out and you should be all right. Timmy was coming out of the shower about a week later when he saw something he'd been looking for. He pounced on a desperate roach and caught it. He didn't like the feel of it against his hand as it struggled to find a way to escape. He found the empty jam jar he kept specially and dropped the bug into it. There was another roach race scheduled. What you gonna call him? Sonny asked that night. Gunsin, he said. Good name, Sonny said. Timmy set up a course in the cell and did all he could to persuade Sin to run from one end of the track to the other. He tried blowing on its back. Someone told him that was effective. He tried shouting. He tried rewarding it. Nothing seemed to work. Whatever he did, the damn thing just sat there or ran in totally random directions. There were very few times it ever made it to the end of the course. How's it going? Sonny asked one evening. Timmy shook his head. Useless, he said. Sonny smiled. Let's have a look, he said. Timmy showed him the jar. Well, there's your problem, brother, he said. Look at the size of him and look at the jar. All you can do in there is go around in circles. You need somewhere bigger for him so he can get used to going in a straight line. You reckon? Timmy asked. Hundred percent, Sonny said. Sonny had some shoe boxes. One of them contained Leilani, but he found an empty one. In the morning, Sonny insisted Timmy see if there had been an improvement. It wasn't long until Master, but Timmy took out Gun Sin and put him on the floor. It was a different creature. He ran in a straight line without deviating all the way to the end of the track. Bloody hell, he's fast, Sonny said. Geez, I reckon I've got a chance with him, said Timmy. Over the next week, Timmy managed to stay out of Ayun's way. He spent his evenings with Sonny and Gunsin, who he had begun to warm to. It seemed affectionate, apparently content to sit on Timmy's hand. Roaches used to freak me out, but this one's different, he told Sonny. When you look at him up close, he's quite beautiful. I never thought I'd say that about a cockroach. The sheen of his wing covers, delicate eyes, fragile feelers. He stared at Gunsin, and Gunsin stared back at him. Jesus, Sonny said, "Pair of flaming lovebirds." Timmy reached a finger gingerly forward and scratched a nail along Gunsin's back. Damned if the rudge didn't just sit there like he was enjoying it. The reports went up for Timmy's parole hearing. He hoped desperately that nothing would delay him getting out. Just don't get into a fight with A.M. That might stuff up everything, Sonny said. Timmy had been constantly vigilant and had only seen him twice and had kept out of his way both times. Jails can be small places, Sonny said. You have to look out for him when you're not looking out for him, if you know what I mean. You walk around the corner one day thinking of some girl's arse and bang! He'll be right there again like the other week. Timmy would hold out grains of sugar for Gunsin. He'd take one and then run down to his knee. He'd eat it and then come back like it was some kind of game. They love their sugar, Sonny said. Run out, Timmy said. You got any more? Sonny went to the canister. I've only got sweetener sachets, he said. Not good for bloodstock. Oh, sorry, little buddy, Timmy said to Gunsin. Wanted some sugar for me copper, in the morning too, Sonny said. Won't hurt you to go without, Timmy told him. Where'd you get sugar from anyway, he asked. I thought we weren't allowed it, Sonny grunted. I can't drink that sweetener, he said. In the morning, Timmy woke up as Sonny was filling the kettle. Timmy could see him spooning sugar into his cup.
2: Where'd you get it,
1: Sonny shrugged. Must have missed some when I checked a can last night. I saw it, Timmy said. There wasn't a speck left. Some kind of miracle then, Sonny told him. Timmy could see he was smiling. The prisoners couldn't race when there were screws around. With the skill of ancient astronomers plotting the next lunar eclipse. Sonny and a couple of the others tried to work out when the orbits of the guards would coincide in an absence from the pod long enough for what they were now calling the Spring Derby. Eventually, an afternoon just two weeks before Timmy's release date was decided on, his parole had been granted, subject to him not getting into trouble beforehand, and he was planning what he'd do on the outside. Sonny rubbed the silver stubble on his chin before scratching his neck. You reckon you'll be back? he asked. Timmy shook his head. I'm sure everyone says it, but there's no way I'm going to end up inside again. You're right, they do all say it, Sonny said. Yeah, but I mean it, Timmy replied. They say that too, said Sonny. Timmy looked around the cell and his eyes came to rest on Gun Sin. Reckon they'll let me take him out? You'll have to smuggle him. They'll spray him if they see him. How do you go about smuggling cockroaches? Timmy asked. Sonny shrugged. Never done it myself, he said. I don't expect there's many who have. Without warning, as usual at this time every night, the lights went out. In the distance, they could hear Ronnie Ascot start to cry because he hated the dark. "'You're gonna tell me?' Timmy whispered. "'Tell you what?' "'You know. The sugar. How'd you get more sugar?' "'You a ghost or something. Slipped between the bars and got some?' "'Is that what you reckon?' Sonny said. "'Bloody hell. You're not, are you?' Timmy said. "'In the dark?' Sonny chuckled quietly. "'Maybe I'll tell you one day. Perhaps you can figure it out yourself.' I've only got two weeks, Timmy said. Then you better think hard, Sonny told him. Saturday was the day before the derby. A few of the blokes were more emotional than usual after visitors, but they were also stocked up because their families had put money in their accounts. Timmy was quiet. He sat on his bed, playing with guns in. A few inmates were milling around outside. He heard Sonny's slow shuffle as he approached the cell. How'd you go? Timmy asked. Oh, Dilla, me, me son came, he answered. I thought he wasn't talking to you. I thought so too. Haven't seen him in yonks. What did he want to talk to you about? Timmy asked. Answers, Sonny said. Why I wasn't around more often. Why I'd keep going to jail. Did I ever love him? He asked you all that. Sonny? Nah, he never asked me anything. I mean, he asked me how I was. What it was like in here. What I was going to do when I got out but none of the important questions. Maybe you could have just told him. Sonny shook his head. I should have done more for him his whole life. I met his mum at a rodeo. I bet no one with a sad child who'd ever heard that before. I was too young. She was, well, never mind. I had my chance to be there, but I made the wrong choice. And now I find out you can only really be a father when they're young. Sure, you can do things when they're older, but they don't count as much. You can be friends with them, help them out if you're able, but you can't shape them, if you know what I mean. That ship has sailed. So he didn't say why he visited? His girl's pregnant. You'll be a granddad. Perhaps you can help them out that way. Ch- Almighty, not really my thing. Take the kid for walks with the pram down the park. Sit on the bench and watch them on the slippery dip. How hard can it be? Sonny was quiet for so long. Timmy wondered whether he'd offended him, but then he started talking again. The name of his girl is Cheryl, same as me name. Like it's gone full circle, said Timmy. Timmy noticed a solitary ant on the wall of the cell opposite their bunks. It seemed confused as it wandered over the brickwork in a series of meandering figure eights. Who am I kidding, Sonny said. I know bugger all about Dylan and even less about babies. They're not going to want me around. Maybe I'll head to Queensland. Timmy saw two more ants had joined the first and they were all marching along together, still in the figure eight pattern. Sounded like Dylan was reaching out to you. I'm pretty good with timber if I can get into somewhere with tools. I could knock up a cot or something. Toys, maybe. Now a dozen ants were marching around. See those ants? Timmy asked. Once they get into a pattern, they can't get out. More ants joined them. The conversation stopped as both men watched a hundred ants determinedly walking in a pattern. Then more came. Soon the wall was a sea of ants. They marched around in synchronised tapestry of patterns like a black and white kaleidoscope. There were stars at night, Timmy thought. There were the patterns of ripples in a wide river. There were sand grains blown along by God in a geometric mood. The display lasted about 15 minutes and then, even more quickly than they arrived, the ants departed. Just vanished into the cracks in the walls, Up into the ceiling, out the door. I'll be buggered, Timmy said. Sonny started snoring. The lights went out. The following afternoon they held the derby. Sundays after visitings were often a bit tense. Today was no different. There'd been a fight in A-Pod, and even though it had been simmering a long time, the ferocity of the resultant argument had surprised everyone. Googie Peters had been taken to hospital. The screws were all over the place in case there was any flare-ups. But apart from one pair who'd end up in Segre, there'd been nothing. Anyone with a sense for what was happening could feel the tension, though. The explosive was in place. The fuse was ready. All that remained was for someone to light it. Maybe today's not the day for Gun Sin's debut, Sonny told Timmy. It's my only chance, Timmy said. He's trained so hard. By 3pm the atmosphere was electric. Men were assembled in small groups. Word of the race had spread, so that not only were competitors more excited, but there were more of them. The names of famous racehorses now appended to cockroaches were banded about freely. This track was an oval, just like a real one. Some imagination had gone into its construction. An improvised starting gate had been created with a wooden ruler attached to rubber bands. Rather than one-on-one competitions, it was decided to have only one race. There were nine contenders. Farlap, Palface Adios, Gunsin, Leilani, Winx, Rain Lover, Might and Power, Emancipation and carbine All wore different drops of colour on their backs. Clive Jenkins was again acting as starter and race caller. A couple of blokes had set themselves up as bookies and were taking bets. Other guys made bets amongst themselves. Anything that was movable, and some that weren't, like haircuts, were being offered. Timmy had guns in and a jam jar in his pocket. His mouth was dry and his hands were shaken. He put everything he had on his little friend, knowing that if he won, he'd have a comfortable couple of weeks. If he lost, he'd end up with nothing at all. Suddenly, Ayu was standing right in front of him. To Timmy although surely it wasn't possible. His massive shoulders were wider, his legs were longer, he was taller, and his neck was thicker. What you got? he asked. Timmy had nothing left. Everything apart from his clothes was already bet with other guys. What about your roach against my sandwich press? Ayun asked. Timmy was torn. His faith in gun sin was strong and he wanted the press more than anything, but he also couldn't stand the thought of losing gun sin. A-yoon was right in his face and tearing above him. Timmy took a breath. Sure, he said. Yeah, gun sin against your sandwich press. The next few minutes were a blur. The last bets were made and notes exchanged. All eyes were on the course. Behind the wooden ruler, the cockroaches were being held by their owners. Sonny had Leilani and Timmy had Gunsin. Clive cut the thread and the roaches started racing. Men were shouting. When pale Adios ran into the barrier, there were boos and jeers. When emancipation drew half a metre ahead, there were cheers. And when it turned around and ran the other way, Grown men screamed in frustration. Clyde's commentary was legendary.
2: Martin Power has found a snack in the middle of the truck and has stopped. Far Lap is running towards the barrier. Wig and Rainlover appear to have found a romantic attraction for each other. Leilani is trapped along in the middle of the pack. At the moment, it's a two-roach race. With Carbine and Gunsin swapping positions for the lead. With half the race to run, though, they're starting to lose pace and the rest of the Packers catching them up. Ben kept shouting. Timmy was worried the screws would hear the noise and shut down the whole thing
1: before the finish line was reached. But so far, they hadn't appeared. He glanced up at Ayun, whose face was grim and determined. He was shouting for whichever roach was in front of Gunn-Sin. Timmy's pet was a stayer, though. Of all the insects that day, only Gunsin consistently remained in the lead pack.
2: Carbine's falling back and a mighty Farlap has a to take his place. Winks and Rain are now falling hard on the heels of the others. Might and Power and Paleface he and Emancipation are starting to gain on Gunsin and Farlap. Winks and Rain are getting faster as well.
1: Ronnie Ryan thought he was having a heart attack, but no one seemed to care. The shouts and yells of men forgetting for a moment they were in jail and separated from their families were intense. Ayun's eyes were bulging and his fists were clenched, as if by strength of his determination he could influence the outcome. Timmy was yelling and Sonny was yelling. They were all screaming and shouting as the pack entered the last meter.
2: Emancipation has taken the lead. No, now she's dropped back again. It's my turn power. Now it's father. Now it's carbine! is still in the mix, but now Palfoy Salyon submerges the head of the field with rain lover, hard on its tail. Now Gunsen has had a burst of energy. He's pulled away by a whisker. Now the whole bloody lay Leilani's close beyond in the money as emancipation is served.
1: Ronnie Ryan was telling everyone he was dying and to get help. And no one paid him one ounce of attention. All eyes were on Gun Sin as it crossed the line ahead of the rest, with Leilani a close second and Emancipation running into third. The cheering faded. Men started settling debts, swearing affectionately as they handed over items or IOUs, good-naturedly for the most part. The roach owners were gathering up their pets, comparing training notes with each other, laughing, and then, Timmy saw Ayun. It wasn't fair, he thought. He hadn't done anything to upset him other than just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He had an idea. Ayun was looking very pissed off. Hey, Timmy said. What a race. Timmy could see Sonny was watching the interaction closely from the other side of the room. Forget about the bet, Timmy said suddenly. It doesn't matter. Keep the sandwich press, okay? For a moment he thought it was the perfect solution. Sometimes you can watch people think. You can see the process of rationalisation occurring. You can tell that theories are being tested and conclusions are being arrived at. Timmy saw this in Ayun's face now. If I don't give you the press, they'll say I'm a welcher, he said. I'm not a damn welcher. It's fine," Timmy said. "We'll keep it between ourselves. No one has to know." Ayun seemed to be considering his offer, but then saw Sunny watching them. Before Timmy knew what was happening, Ayun had flicked a jar out of his hand and dropped Gunsin onto the floor. Filthy damn cockroach," he said. He actually lifted his foot to stomp Gunsin into the tile floor. But at that moment, not one but two wasps appeared and went straight for his neck. Both stung him. He tried to flick them away, but they were relentless, stinging his hands as well. He ran from the pod. Timmy scooped up Gunsin, who seemed unshaken by the event. He looked over at Sunny, but he was already walking towards the cell. That night, the ants returned and made more black-and-white psychedelic patterns on the wall. A squadron of moths air-danced around the light globe. From somewhere, they heard Cricket sing the most beautiful song they'd ever heard. You control them, don't you? Timmy whispered. Sonny laughed. No, I don't control them. You might say I just talk to them. They like helping me. How? Timmy asked. "'I don't know. I've just always been able to do it. "'I kind of think to them. "'I can't really explain it.' "'Timmy was quiet for a minute. "'Is it an Aboriginal thing?' "'Can't say,' Sonny answered. "'Never known anyone else who can do it. "'Might be doing it Aboriginal way. "'Then again, maybe not. "'There's blokes who are horse whisperers. "'Some are Aboriginal.' Some are from anywhere. Some bugs can do it with dogs, some with fish. Who knows what else? I thought I'd lose guns in until the wasp came. I hate for that to happen. They don't last long, Sonny warned him. The bugs have quicker life cycles, just so you know. The ants form two circles like the sun and the moon and then they'd morphed into all the stars in the night sky. A series of whirling galaxies and nebulae. What about spiders? Timmy asked. Can you talk to them? Nah, Sonny said. I tried a few times, but it's like they're on a different wavelength. You reckon you could teach someone else to do it? I think you either got it or you haven't, Sonny said. When they released Timmy, he was met at the gates by his sister, who had at last left Frankie. Timmy moved in with her and helped her get set up. When his parole finished, he decided to go travelling for a while. He started looking for Sonny. He heard rumours of a man who was amazing with bees in one place. Somewhere else was a bloke who was supposed to be the Pied Piper of ants. There was another bloke who glowed like a firefly. None of them were sunny. It was over two years before he found him, and by then he'd stopped looking. He was drinking too much again. He knew it would have been okay if he could have settled down with someone and held a job. But the women had too many problems, and the jobs were too boring. He'd arced up in the pub one afternoon at this dickhead who was going on about how short he was and before he knew it, he started swinging and there'd been a hell of a blue and the cops had been called and he'd been locked up again. He was in a tiny holding cell. The last bloke must have had the worst BO. It was all he could do not to gag. Cruel and unusual punishment, he thought. And then... He saw a moth crawling through the tiny gap at the top of the door. It was followed by two others. And before he knew it, they were air-dancing in front of his face. And he forgot about the smell. And facing court in the morning in his whole stupid life. Sonny was two cells down. And they shook hands and hugged each other. And slapped each other's backs after they were bailed in the morning. They found a park. Sonny explained that things weren't going so well for him either. He was looking forward to being back inside, where he could catch up with a few mates and relatives, where he didn't have to think about finding a job, what to eat, where to sleep. I feel more free in there sometimes than I do out here, he admitted. Maybe we'll be in the same jail, Timmy told him. Fight it if you can, said Sonny. It's too late for me. But it's not too late for you. Make promises to them. Do the programs. Take the jobs they offer. Don't end up like me. Why's it too late for you? Timmy asked. It's just too hard, you know. But with your talents, Sonny. Sonny grinned. We've all got talents, Timmy. Makes no difference when you're locked away, though. A waste for you, but it's a waste for them as well. That morning, when you had sugar, when you had none the night before, are you going to tell me how you did it? Sonny was quiet. Please. I'm sure a smart guy like you can work it out. The ants, Timmy said after a while, realising, you asked the ants to bring it to you. One grain of sugar at a time. Rated the officer's canteen. Timmy laughed, then went suddenly quiet. Will you go away this time? Probably. It's only a small shoplifting charge and resisting arrest. I could probably get out of it if I wanted to. But I've got nothing I want to offer them. I have an idea, said Timmy. A year later, they were changed men. Not completely altered, it's true. They still liked to drink, and neither had yet hooked up with a woman who was good for them. But they stayed out of jail. Sonny sent money up to Dylan, and sometimes he'd visit. The Great Insect Circus travels the roads of inland Australia. They don't have a big tent; they don't need one. The one they have emits around thirty, and there's a ring in the middle. Ants march in formation. Butterflies and moss air dance. Beetles form 3D living models of major landmarks, the Opera House, the Harbour Bridge, the Big Merino, and Uluru. Squadrons of flies demonstrate the most amazing aerial acrobatics you'll ever see. Cicadas and crickets sing the latest hits. Cockroaches race each other. And the show ends with a Firefly fireworks display. Timmy does the marketing and sells the tickets. Sonny is the trainer and ringmaster. If it ever comes to a town near you, make sure you see it. It really is the most amazing thing.
0: That was Billy McPherson reading Whispering Moths. It was recorded in my home studio in Sydney and was mastered at King Sound Studios. The music was by Trevor Brown. Please check out his website. There's links from earmovies.com. Season two of Ear Movies is brought to you in a shameless plug for my audio book, Charlie's Wives, read by Robert Hansen. Based on a true fragment of history, Charlie Brewster writes letters for African-American army wives to their husbands at the front During the American Civil War, in a world of violence and PTSD, he starts to learn about intimacy and women. He is trapped between worlds. He knows this as he sits silently watching the silent flag.
1: Wonders if they will both one day fly away into the white-flecked sky. Two other motes to be consumed by the enormous wholeness of it all. To the arms of God, if there is a God. Although a god would not allow war, no god will allow that, but some god has.
0: You can buy Charlie's Wives from Audible, or get the hard copy from Amazon or the e-book from Kindle. There are links on the Ear Movies website. Please come back for more of Conversations with Buck Thumper, Season 2 of Ear Movies. I'm Simon Lockhurst. Thanks for listening.